we, uh, we're in the middle of a, a long series. Uh, don't know how long because we haven't gotten there yet, but we're going through the book of Acts. We're, uh, we're five chapters in out of 28. Okay, but we're getting there. It's been good. How many of you were here last week? Can I just see? So about half of you. We covered a really uh, challenging topic. I think one of the most difficult stories in the Bible, Ananias and Sapphira. If you don't know that story, read it in Acts 5, because I did it last week. Or you could listen online. I gave you my take on it. Uh, before I go on to, um, to what we're doing tonight, I want to just remind you, because we're hitting another topic that I think is fascinating and uh, challenging and fun and good. But I want to let you know, I'm not really here to make sure that I get everything just right. I get, this is a pastor saying this, that, that I give you all the exact right answers, answers that I would never change for the rest of my life because I'm finished growing. You know what, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying that's actually not my goal. I love digging into stuff. I love giving you gems, things that I think are fascinating. But really my goal is I want to show you the, an accurate picture of the Father. I, I want to draw you into God. I want you to have encounters with his heart. Um, that, those are the things that change us. You know, some of the factual stuff that maybe, you know, I don't know how much we always get right. Uh, we're doing our best, all of us. But the goal really isn't head knowledge. The goal is, is uh, giving you those opportunities, avenues to, to come in closer. So I just want to stop and pray that right now. Father, we're your kids who love you and we long for more depth and more intimacy and, and just to, to, um, to catch clearer glimpses of just how good you are, just how kind you are. So would you help us with that tonight? Take us there in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week, um, again, I won't, I won't go into the details, but I did talk about one of the main points last week was, was in this story was actually the growth of Peter. And how he changed from this story when he was in his late 20s to when maybe 30, 40 years later when he wrote his, his uh, letters that we read in the Bible. Um, I, I talked to several of you. I had so many good conversations this week about it. And I talked to several of you when I, when I was mentioning my own story and, and just being real with you about, about things, that, with the ways that I had hurt people when I was much younger, even though I was trying to help them, but I was not doing it with the kindness and the heart of God. Um, several of you talked to me about how that even set you free, not just to release others, which I was encouraging you to do, but to release yourself, to forgive yourself. When I hear stories like that, I just go, yay, yay, God, that's, this is what I want. This is the freedom we all are looking for. Um, I, um, one, just another quick one too, when I talked about Peter still in process and he hadn't arrived yet. None of us have arrived yet, which gives us grace to keep going, right? We're, we'll talk about this later on when we get there. But one, another example with Peter is, is in chapter 10 of Acts where um, God, God took him in a vision uh, to heaven because he had some real issues with prejudice. He was against all nationalities other than his own. That was a big problem in, in Jesus' kingdom, Right? I'm just saying, I'm not picking on Peter at all. I, I told you last week, I love Peter. I can't wait till I meet him in heaven. He's, he's the bomb. He's amazing. Bold, all of it. I'm just saying, he has some learning to do. I have, have some learning to do. We all do. 
So there's grace in this. And I talked last week about the Greek word uh, for fear, which is um, phobos. Do you remember that? And so I'm going to, come on, there we go. Yeah. Any of you recognize that? That's, uh, that's the fear guy. Um, in what movie? Thank you. I, I couldn't remember. Inside Out. All right. Right? We were talking about that. <laughs> so, so I mentioned this last week. We, we talked about it a little bit. But, but, but right away, when you see the Greek word phobos, the, the problem already is that what's the word we associate with that? Phobia. Which, which is true. The word does seem root word. But that means right away then we have a really negative concept of, of fear if that's the word they're using. Because we're thinking that's negative fear, right? Phobias. Well, let's take a look at it. Okay? There is, um, there's fear. So it can mean fear, dread, terror, that which strikes terror. That's the way we would probably think of the word. It also uh, can mean awe, obedient reverence, and earnestness. Here's another one. It can mean um, reverence for one's husband. That's interesting. Now, reverence, we're, not, we're talking about like actually a wife that reveres in a good way. We're not talking about manipulation that we're saying, uh, which is interesting because when you talk about the fear of the Lord, obviously there are many references to God being our husband. Hmm. All right. We're just getting little pieces here. And here's another one. It can... Um, also denote the physical act of worship. Hence, the God-fearers in the New Testament were those who worshiped God. I want to tell you, once we start understanding the, the term fear and the different ways it's used, I want to tell you tonight, when we were deep in worship, we were all God-fearers. We were. In the true sense of the word, which we're going to describe, we were. So, um, all right. And here's just a thought that I have. I believe that how we respond to God, whether being terrified of him or in awe of him with reverent obedience, has mostly to do with our own inner world and what we perceive to be true about the character and the nature of God. That's kind of what I was getting at last week with Ananias and Sapphira. I'm not saying, I, I, I made it very clear. I was not trying to tell everyone this is exactly what happened. Just giving you my own thoughts since I had the microphone. And, um, but I do believe even, even when the next phrase is that the community was, was, in, was in fear, that there was great fear seized the community. That word phobos is the one used again. What does that mean? Well, I believe it had different, um, I believe that that meant different things to different people depending on how their relationship was with God. I believe those that I believe there were some that were absolutely terrified, as in wanting to run the other way, and I believe those were that were saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! Who is this God?" Uh, today we're looking at. We're going to go back to to. It's all the wind everywhere. We're going to go back to. Um, it's okay. Thanks. Going to go back to chapter uh, Acts chapter five. We're gonna, I'm going to tell you about the rest of it. But as you can see, it's uh, really long. And so I'm not going to actually um, read it to you. I'm going to just tell you a quick rundown. And then we're going we're gonna to 
talk about, I'm going to give you a quick rundown. We're going to talk about the word fear some more, and then I'm going to loop right back around to Acts 5, okay? So um, what happened since, since the last week with Ananias and Sapphira? I just said a great fear came over the whole church. Um, it says the apostles were working lots of signs and wonders. Uh, their numbers were increasing steadily. It says Peter's shadow was healing the sick. They would, all the sick, they would purposely bring him wherever Peter was going to be walking on by so that his shadow would heal the sick. That's crazy. And just so you know, uh, I believe that's absolutely a reference to his spirit. Um, it wasn't, I don't believe it was just his physical shadow. That's great. But, but truly, um, I believe our spirits uh, are bigger than we are, especially the more, isn't that right? Especially the more we allow God access the more, the more we are making him Lord, the more we are choosing his ways, I believe our spirit gets bigger and bigger. We'd be shocked if we knew. I believe Peter's spirit was pretty dang big. Uh, it says all the sick and those tormented by unclean spirits were cured in and around Jerusalem. All. See, this is, we've been talking a lot about revival and we experience tastes of it and we've seen lots of people healed. I just believe um, the book of Acts, we're not supposed to try to get back there. We're supposed to go forward with what God has. But I'm saying if they experienced it there, then we get at least that and then some. All right. Um, Let's see. It says that the, okay, so then you'd think everybody was really happy, right? Because everyone was getting healed, right? Wrong. Because there there were religious leaders that were very jealous, extremely jealous, uh, because they were getting threatened. I would even say, I'm just going to say it, that maybe, just maybe money might have been involved. Meaning that if people are not coming to our church, but they're hanging out with those guys, people are leaving anyway. I'm just saying, you, you can make your own judgment on that. I'm just saying, quite possible. But they arrested the apostles and they threw them in jail. An angel of the Lord comes in, breaks them out and says, go back out and preach. So the next day, the, uh, the religious leaders are getting together to decide what to do with the apostles that they think are still in jail, except they ain't there. And they don't figure that out till they go there to tell them what's going to happen, and they're already gone. They figure out they're out preaching. This time they're trying to be more careful because now they're gaining more and more favor with the people. So uh, they do go ahead and arrest them again. They bring them in, and they say, don't do this anymore. Uh, and, and uh, you're going to stop preaching. And Peter says, well, you know what? It's a whole lot more important that we obey God than man. And then he basically preaches to him about Jesus, <laughs> which infuriates them. So they want to kill him. This is all in scripture. They want to kill him. And instead, one man, Galileo, something like that, he says... You know, I got some wisdom, I think. He's one of the religious leaders. He says it's probably not a good idea to kill him. He said if they're not from God, they're just going to go away. Nothing will make of it. If they are from God, it would be a pretty bad thing to be fighting God. So let's not do that. They agreed. They let him go, but they flogged them. And, you know, we read those and we go, yeah, they flogged them. No, I, you know, we don't really understand. They got whipped. They got beaten. They, you know, that was not a fun thing they went through. And they said to him, don't you preach again. Yeah, that was what they said. And their uh, response, this is what I wish all of our response was to any things that we go to, through that are hard, um, especially those that, don't, that, that are trying to uh, keep us down. He said, they were glad to have the honor of suffering humiliation for the sake of Jesus. 
They considered it an honor. Thank you, Jesus, that we could suffer like this. And the very last verse of the chapter says, every day, this is how much they listened to the, you know, the advice of these spiritual leaders. They said every day they went on ceaselessly teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, both in the temple and in private houses. Every day. Because that's what they were about. Um, so I, I love this picture. Normally I don't pick, you know, old, pic, older, you know what I mean, like pictures that are in old books like this. I just, the reason why I liked it is because the disciples were actually, I mean, the apostles were actually young in this, which is what they would have been. And, and the leaders, look at them, they're totally trying to intimidate them, you know. And, 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 uh, and so we have that choice because there are people that are going to want to intimidate us and, and tell us what we can or can't do. Um, so I have a question here. Yeah, this is me just having fun. I'm not done yet. <laughs> but wait, there's still more. Okay. All right. That was like it. Yeah, late last night. Um, so my question, because we talked, we just three times in the book, in, in chapter five, we, it, it says the fear of the Lord. It says it earlier in chapter two. Um, it's the, the fear of the Lord is uh, many times in Scripture, uh, especially Old Testament, but a lot in the New Testament as well. So my question, because, because we're in a new covenant of grace. Grace means God um, doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Grace means um, we are loved because we're His, not because of what we do for Him or don't do for Him. We can't earn anything, right? So I'm, I'm just curious... Um, and you've heard me talk a lot about God's love, including last week. How does fear fit in with that? And I believe I have an answer for you. All right, so we get to start with questions again. Here's my first question. Why are we instructed to fear God, but then God tells us not to be afraid? That's a really good question, Brent. All right, so we're going to look at this. Um, first, uh, first off, fear and the fear of the Lord or fear of God are two different things. Wouldn't you agree? Those are two different things. However, the same, is often, same word's often used for both. Very confusing. We're going we're gonna to work our way through this. But I'm just telling you why there's so much confusion. For example, when the angel came to Mary and said, fear not, he, that was, don't be terrified. That's the word he's using, the, the, the first definition of phobos. Because she is terrified, you know? He's like, no, don't. Um, let me go on, though. There's a scripture, 1 John 4, 18, that begins to show us one of the fears that we're not supposed to have at all as believers in Christ. It says, it says um, 1 John 4, 18 says, In love, there is no room for fear. But perfect love drives out fear because fear implies punishment. Some of your scriptures will say judgment. And whoever is afraid has not come to perfection in love. So we're now we're clearly seeing there's a kind of fear God does not want us to have. Um, and in this scripture, it's pretty obvious. Fear of, of judgment, fear of punishment. As a believer, as one who's given your life to Jesus, is actually not a fear he wants you to have ever. Okay? So let's look at another clue here. This is um, Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing. Now, I'm not saying the word anxious there is the same phobos. It's not. I'm using this to let you know that anxiety, worry, those are some more fears. God, God has no intention for you to walk in as a believer. So I'm just trying to clear up some of the, 
some of the issues, we're still going to talk about what fear does mean, um, or if there's a place for fear. But here's, here's another one. We're told fear not more than 80 times in the Bible. Now, actually, some, some of you have heard 365 actually looked that up. Yeah, urban myth. Um, yeah, it was all so nice, too, wasn't it? One for every day of the year. But actually, what it means is, is that there's a lot of fear knots that have nothing to do with things you'd want to agree with. The kind that are actually the ones you'd want to agree with, well, God's saying don't fear is actually approximately 80 of them. But there you go. That's just because. Um, here's another question. But didn't Jesus himself tell us to fear the one who has the authority to cast you into Gehenna? Wow, are we really going here? What? I guess we are. No, I'm sorry. I just, I'll never know. Yeah, no, we'll go there. Okay, here we go. Just kidding. Being silly. Uh, The answer is yes, absolutely. It's in Luke 12. That's exactly what Jesus said. So, let's go a little bit further. Remember, first of all, that Jesus is preparing people for the covenant of grace. Why do I say preparing people? Because he hasn't died yet. He hasn't been resurrected yet. He hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't established the new covenant yet. Um, and they're still in the old covenant of the law. I, I've done a lot of teaching on this in the past. It's been a while. I may pull out some, some of the archives. It's really important that we understand this. Otherwise... Otherwise, we don't understand sometimes. I'm not trying to reason away all that Jesus is saying, but sometimes we can misunderstand that he's still talking to people who are absolutely restricted by the law. He hasn't died yet. So what, so what we have to do, I'm, I'm going to tell you something too. Whenever you get to a hard passage like this, please look at the stuff around it. It's called the context. You've got... Don't, don't just pull out, especially when someone else says to you, you know, well, what about this? And you're like, uh, I, I, um, I don't know. Just go home. When you can calm down, go home and read, read before and after. And sometimes some amazing things start to come up. So we're going to look at this together. Look at the context. Uh, first of all, right before this, in the ch- end of chapter 11, he's taking the Pharisees to task. Um, for wanting to look good on the outside to others, but their hearts are far from God. This is super important because this is really the whole context for what's going on here. Jesus, in other words, he's, 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 he's calling people out saying, you're, you're religious, okay, but you don't really know God, the very one you say that you know or that you want to serve. He's saying that's a real problem. Right? The next thing that happens is the crowds start gathering. They're, they're like thronging the, Jesus and the disciples. And as you know, Jesus wasn't really motivated by big crowds. That wasn't, his, that wasn't what he did it for. So he says to his disciples that they can make the same mistake and to check their inner motives. So that, uh, so that um, I'm sorry, to check their inner motives that won't stay a secret. I, this is my paraphrase. But I'm saying, he's saying, hey, what's, what's hidden in the darkness is coming out in the light. Right? In other words, God knows what's going on inside of your heart. So stop pretending. Let's not do the Christian thing um, and, and be the good Christian. Instead, let's actually be real with God about what's going on inside of our hearts. Why we're doing things. What are the motives behind why we're doing things? Not, not guilt, not condemnation, not because he's mad at you. He's like, I actually want to help you. It's my spirit in you. But if you're going to play a game, there's really not a lot I can do. But it's going to come out. 
because it always does. This is what Jesus is telling them. Okay? Then um, he said, he's saying, don't be afraid of what others think, but live your life in reverent obedience to your Father who loves you and loves to take care of you. Don't be afraid. This is actually all in there. There's, the verse we're going to get to about Gehenna is squeezed right in the middle there. I'm just telling you everything that's around it. So this is really important. He's saying, um, you know, when you say, well, Brent, how can, how can you say that, that he's saying all these things? Because the very next thing he's talking about is don't worry about anything. Consider the lilies of the field. This is coming right after this really hard verse. You've got to see the whole thing. Otherwise, otherwise you can pull anything out of context. Um, so, all right, so let's get to what about Gehenna then? What about it? First of all, the word is Gehenna, not hell. That's actually really important. For whatever reason, starting back with the King James, there were about three different words, there were three different words, that they all translated hell, even though they didn't all mean hell. That starts to change things. So Gehenna is actually a place. It's actually a valley. It was a place where there were, um, there were sacrifices, child sacrifices, which so people, after a while, thought the place was cursed. Just heard about that today. You know, a cursed place. And, um, and so then later it also became a dump. And so things were just brought there and burned there. And so there was this stench. So everything around that place was, you know, Gehenna. It's like, oh, uh, you, you don't want to go there. So uh, the source New Testament, which I'm going to quote a couple times tonight, translated as the garbage pit, Gehenna, which, which is actually what it was. Um, so, so what is that? What was Jesus referring to? He's, he's saying, look, um, you're, uh, you, you don't want to pretend. Don't, don't put on an act. Don't, don't do things for show to make others think better of yourself. This is getting right back to Peter in Acts 5 saying obedience to God over obedience to man. Like this fear of man thing is a killer. It really is. And so Jesus is actually trying to help people. He's doing it still in the context of the old covenant. But he's saying to them, he's saying don't, uh, don't hide. Don't, um, when you do, there's things inside that are going to come out. And actually they're pretty stenchy. Paul Young says this. this is, I, I, there's a few quotes that I think are just brilliant by Paul, and this is one of my favorites, which is, um, sin is its own punishment. Just took me a minute to remember it. That's why I said it that way. But sin is its own punishment. In other words, we, we've just read, I just read to you from 1 John 1, 1.9 that if we're expecting punishment, a fear of punishment, we haven't understood the love of God yet. That's actually not something he wants you to fear. But we also know sin, you know, when we, when we go in directions that are not good and not, and not, not pure, there's, there's consequences, there's, there's things that happen. We are actually creating our own Gehenna. And, and he's saying, I don't want that for you. What's the next thing he says? Trust your father who has nothing but good for you. He's going to provide for you. It's his joy to do it. But he needs your open heart. He, he needs you to go there with him. Is this making some sense? All right. I'm going I'm to move on to... Um, 
to another scripture for in the Old Testament. And we're going to start looking at fear in, in, in the way it's used many times in the scriptures. Oh, Lord, this is uh, Nehemiah 111 says, Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, uh, of this your servant. He's talking about himself and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. That's the f- word fear. Oh, Lord, those who delight, there's delight. So in other words, this is a different way of saying it, that there's a meaning of fear that's not repulsive. It doesn't drive us away. It draws us in. And we're going we're gonna to start surrounding this because this is what God is after. He's not trying to drive us away with this paralyzing, gripping terror that's, that's not ever his heart. Here's, here's another verse. This comes from Isaiah 11, 2 to 3. And this is, this is a scripture about Jesus, a prophecy about Jesus. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. Sorry. Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Here's my question. You've read a lot about Jesus. Can you remember a time remotely when Jesus is talking about the Father, meeting with the Father, when he's terrified and petrified and running the other way? Clearly, that is not what the scripture is saying. And yet Jesus delighted in the fear of God. So, so the fear of the Lord, that, that reverent awe towards his Father. Let's look at the New Testament. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Some people really, especially people that talk about grace, really don't like this scripture. They're like, well, what do you mean work out your salvation? Like, I thought we already had it. We do. But didn't we talk last week about it being a process? Yes, it is. It's both and. But the very next line, for it is God who works in you. He's doing it, right? So what is this really getting at? I, uh, this is where I want to quote from, um, once again, from the Source New Testament. One of my favorite, if you're looking for a good reference for uh, a, a book that I believe um, the author does her work very well as far as the Greek, um, the Greek background on these words. Um, that's, I, I recommend this to you. So um, the, the word for fear and trembling, I'm not going to read that in Greek, is much better rendered with earnestness and concern. Now, again, what's the context? Philippians 2 is the whole chapter where it says, consider Jesus. Look at Jesus. You know, it's saying who... who who humbled himself, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Remember this whole beautiful, you have to go back if you don't know what I'm talking about, Philippians 2. It's, we're just staring at the beauty of Jesus. And in verse 8, I put verse 8 here first. Jesus humbled himself, listening to God to the point of death, the death on the cross. In other words, Paul is trying to show, look, Jesus 
who so revered his father, so in love with his father. This isn't about, well, I have to be obedient. I have to be a servant. No, he was in love with his father and so reverent to him. So for him to say, yes, dad, I will go to the cross. When we all know from, from Gethsemane, there, were, there was a part in him that was struggling terribly that, that, that did not want to go, but he knew this was the father. He knew this was the plan, the way the father's will, right? So, so Paul's saying, look at Jesus, humbled himself. Now put that in context with this verse, only I'm going to say it to the, to the one on the right. Consequently, this is Paul talking to the Philippians, my dearly loved ones, in the same way that you always paid attention, not only just in my presence, but now much more in my absence, accomplish your own deliverance with earnestness and concern. What? Am I losing you guys? Are you with me? A little bit? What? Stay with me here because it's going to get really good. All right. I know this is a lot of information. I'm really trying to help you understand the context of fear the way it is in Scripture. Um, because you're about, you're about to be invited into a journey through it, okay? Paul is saying, when I was there... You were paid close attention to the ways of the Lord. You don't need me there anymore. Work out your own salvation. You have Jesus. You have Jesus. Work out your own salvation. What does that mean? Work out your own deliverance. What does that mean? We talk about, in this house, we talk a lot about inner healing. We talk about sozo, heart sink, right? This is what we're getting at. This is what the scripture is getting at. Paul's saying, keep opening your heart up. Keep doing it, whether I'm there, whether I'm not there. Keep going, because Jesus is going to show you things that you cannot see, but it still requires your participation. Is this making sense? He's like, you've got to engage in this thing. And that's where we're going to tonight with this, is is that this process requires our engagement. We have to. There's a, this is just my own thoughts. There's a deep sense of awe that the Lord is within us. This is what the fear is, if I can re, re, restate it. It's this deep sense of awe. God is actually in me. He's in me. What? Really, Lord? You love me like that. And so there's this deep longing for that divine potential within us to be realized. This is a big part of the fear of the Lord. God is not like trying to scare you to behave. That's what I'm getting at. Is this making sense? That's what we think the fear of the Lord is. I'm going to scare you enough and you'll behave. That's called manipulation. That's not God's game ever. He is trying to get us. He wants us to be so in awe. I've chosen you as my home. And my choice is final. I'm going to change you. But I, but I want you to participate with me. And I think there are times in all of our lives where we start wandering and we forget. We forget who we are. Sometimes that looks like sin. It looks like things we do that are really destructive. Sometimes it just looks like aimlessness and purposelessness. And God says, oh, my children, I'm right here inside of you. Let's get engaged again. Let's talk again. Come, come talk with me. I, for, I forgot... I want to share this. Oh, no, I'm out of time. Okay. 
So, so earlier, all right, all right, all right, right. Earlier, I was, I mentioned one of the words for fear is, is the terror, right? Can that be a part of this? Actually, it can. Just in this sense, just hear me for a minute. Isaiah 6, woe, woe is me. Isaiah 6, woe is me. I'm an unclean man with unclean lips because he was suddenly in the presence of God in the heavens. Whoa. Many years ago, I had a vision. I was taken, I was taken up to heaven. I was with a group of people worshiping, and I was taken up into heaven. And suddenly I'm there and I see the, I see the elders with, uh, around the throne. I see Jesus across the way. And the elders, they are down with, the, with their you know, crowns on the ground, just like it says in Revelation. But I see Jesus across the way, and suddenly I'm feeling exactly what Isaiah felt. I'm like, oh, I, I should not be here. I know what I'm made of. I know. And Jesus, so, so what I did in this, in this vision, uh, I, I instantly got down on my face, and I put... You know, I put, I had a crown on and I put it on the, on the ground ahead of me and Jesus came right over to me. And, um, I really, I really didn't know what was going to happen, but he, he reached down and he, and he lifted me up. He said, come up here. And he's the one that took the crown and he put it back on my head. And there was a moment, I had an experience where, where I was baptized in his love and I know that when I came out of that, I was a different person. It doesn't mean I got it all right. It doesn't mean I loved everyone perfect, but I was changed. And I even looked at, I could look at people differently. I felt, I felt like he was saying for a while, just come up here and look with me and love the way I do. This is all about love. So I do know there are times where, where terror, not terror as in running the other way, but woe is me in your presence. Um, but see, he never does it to push you away. You saw what happened to me. I didn't know what was going to happen. He lifts me up and puts the crown back on my head. He says, you're my son. You're my king. Let's get out there and love people. Um, so, yeah. Um, and so there's this thing in us that where we want our lives to matter, don't we? We do. And, and so that's part of what the fear of the Lord is, is is that sense in us that says, I want to stay engaged with this God who lives in me. This is Second Peter 1, 3 and 4. By his divine power, he has lavished on us all of the things that we need for life and for true devotion through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these greatest and priceless promises uh, have, uh, have been lavished on us. That Sorry, these greatest and priceless promises have been lavished on us that through them you should share the divine nature. There it is. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in us. There's a divine nature in us. And escape, here's the other part, escape the corruption rife in the world through disordered passion. He, God wants a bride that is holy. He has made us holy through the blood of Christ. That is true. And we're in a process of agreement with him so that we are so in love with him that the very things that we would do that would take us down dark alleys, we decide over time as he speaks to our hearts, we say, God, I don't want to go there anymore. It's not, it's not who I am. It's not what I'm made for. It's not what my life is about. So I'm just saying there's a process in that for all of us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, these are all good, but I'm going to skip this next one because I just have to. We're kind of at a 
getting out of time. I, I want to go to this. This is um, probably impacted me more than anything else in my studies about fear. And this goes back to the Hebrew word yara. And I'm taking this. Uh, I, I read from uh, Jeff Benner's book, uh, The Living Words. This, this, just, uh, this was so, so good. I, I love this. So he talks about how fear uh, can absolutely mean, you know, the dread. So he uses the example from Genesis 3.10. Uh, Adam says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I feared because I was naked and I hid myself. But then he also says that it can be the revering. Uh, you will revere the Lord your God, and you will serve him and swear upon his name, Deuteronomy 3, uh, 6.13. Now, so far, this is not much different than what we read in the Greek, but here's where it gets different. Yara doesn't have two different meanings, fear and reverence. Each Hebrew word has only one meaning, but can have different applications. The literal meaning of Yara is a flowing of the gut. Talking about the word for fear doesn't mean terror, and it doesn't mean um, reverence. It means the flowing of the gut, which can be applied to fear or reverence. Think about it. Have you ever been so scared or been in the presence of something so amazing that you could feel it in your gut? Of course. I mean, I would say for me, of course. This feeling is the meaning of the word. It's a feeling word, not an action. So what about the, this is, this is where it starts getting really good for me. Proverbs 9.10. Because when I started talking about fear, this was the first verse that came to my mind. The fear of the Lord. So yara, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Okay? So based on what we just heard about the definition of Yara, what is this saying? The common understanding, what, you, what we've all been taught is, if one is afraid of or in great awe of Yahweh, that person will have wisdom. But this is not consistent with its use in the Hebrew language. This is going to get interesting, I'm telling you. The author explains, that here I cannot give you, I promise, there's just pages of stuff that he tells you the con- construct of the sentence The author explains in great detail with the Hebrew word construction used in this verse that it's quite plain that the fear belongs to God. What? I told you this is going to get very interesting. The fear of the Lord. But we never, our brains would never allow us to think that actually means God's fear because we know that God can't be afraid the way we think of fear. But that's not what the definition of the Hebrew word for fear is. This is going to change some things. I am feeling the spirit all over again. We know God can't fear the way that we usually understand fear, but yara literally means to flow out of the gut. So now the question becomes, what flows out of the gut of Yahweh? Just letting your minds run with this for a minute, because this is so good. First, he, he gives a quick reference to Judges 3.10. And the Spirit of the Lord, see, we would have no problem, Spirit of the Lord, we go, well, that's God's Spirit. But we won't say that the fear of the Lord is God's fear, because we had the wrong definition of fear. We did not have the Hebrew definition. 
So the Spirit of the Lord, Ruach Yahweh, came upon him. So the word Ruach, we know, means wind. It's another type of flowing. So it literally is that God, God, the wind was flowing from God. So in the, so where the question is back to what flows out of the gut of Yahweh. And the answer is his character does. His nature does. His very own spirit flows out of him so that this is what we get. So Proverbs 9.10 would be better understood as the true nature of the Lord flows out of his gut from his spirit to ours. And this is foundational to knowing his wisdom. You can't know his wisdom unless his spirit is flowing out of himself to you. It makes perfect sense once you understand it. And understanding, and, and so is the foundational to knowing his wisdom and understanding him by experiencing him. How are we going to experience him? We won't apart from the spirit. We can't. And if we don't have this understanding, we keep putting it on ourselves. Like, well, I just, I guess I just got to fear God. I don't know what that means, but it's the beginning of wisdom. So when I read this, not only did it, I just like, oh, wow. I was so, I don't know. Something happened to me. <laughs> Like this was so good because it's the activeness of God constantly flowing out. It's the grace. It's everything we need that's him, him flowing through us. But when I read this, I don't know about you, the first, the next passage I thought of was this one. John 7, Jesus, on the last and most important day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from within. Does this sound familiar? He's saying, he's, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in Jesus would receive later on. Up to that time, the spirit hadn't yet been given. Didn't I just say that? It's still the old covenant. Hadn't been given yet because at that point, Jesus hadn't been given his full splendor. If, everyone is, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. What's going to happen? Uh, out of my out of my gut is going to flow right into you. My spirit flow right into you. What's going to happen after that? Right out of your gut is going to flow the spirit of God to everyone around you. And that is what was happening in the book of Acts. That's exactly what they were doing. Only it was so simple then. They didn't have 2,000 years to complicate it. I'm serious. It was just... It fell, it's pouring out. This is just what's going on. They were the literal, you know, ah, fire hoses of God and making a huge difference. And that's why when you go back to this verse, Peter saying, Acts 5, 29, we must obey God rather than men. It's not even an option. This is the fear of God. This is the awe. God is in me. His spirit breathed in me. He sees me as fully alive. I have no other option but to be Jesus to the world. This is just the way it is. Anything you tell me isn't going to change my mind. And this is where they were living. So, um, Joel, come on up. I had a lot of other things I had to share, but I totally ran out of time. At least I got back to Acts, which is good. I did that. We're going to take communion together. And um, for a couple of minutes, this is what I want to ask you to do. I sent out an email uh, yesterday about, if you read it from Bill Johnson, about repentance. Repentance is not, oh God, I'm so sorry that I'm a worm. 
I'm a terrible person. You must hate me. That is not repentance. That's actually telling yourself lies. Repentance is turning to the truth. God, I believe what you say. And sometimes, sometimes that means choosing to believe what he says about you as a person, what he says about your life. Sometimes it means agreeing that you've made some really bad choices. So sometimes you've gone in some directions that are really destructive. And if you're just putting on blinders, you've, you've lost the fear of the Lord. You've lost that awe. You've lost the wonder of God living in you, Christ in you, to make a huge difference. Guess what you get to do? Repent. It's so simple. And we, we think we have this huge chasm. And God can't, you know, we've just blown it. God says, no, just come agree with me again. Agree with me that Christ's in me. That, that Lord, what, what I was doing was wrong. I, I agree with you. That's wrong. That's destructive. It's not even who I am. I'm going to agree with what you say. So as we're preparing for communion, I just I wanted to end with communion tonight. But first, I asked Joel if he would just, for a few minutes, just play over us. Please, take some time to talk with Jesus. If you feel like you've been, like, um, you know, lately, you've just lost that. You've lost your wandering, meandering. Maybe you're down a dark alley, but maybe you're just meandering without purpose. Would you just take a few minutes to talk to Jesus and, and, and tell him that you want, you want him and that you want to go back to his way, that you agree with him, that you're filled with his spirit, whatever it is, just go there for a moment. And then we're going to take communion together.